Okay, hello, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this, our latest episode in the Mortgage Advice series of podcasts from the LIBF. My name is Gordon Reid, Business Development Manager for Learning and Development here at the LIBF. And in today's podcast, we'll be focusing on the importance of different types of protection, particularly for, but not exclusively, mortgage borrowers. I'm delighted to be joined today by a panel whose knowledge and expertise, no pressure guys, in this area is matched by their passion for the subject. So firstly, we've got Alan Knowles, Managing Director of Cura Insurance, who specialise in finding protection for people seen to be high risk, quirky or non-standard, and also Chairman of the Protection Distributors Group. Welcome, Alan. Thank you very much for having me. Nice to be here. Brilliant to have you. And uh, Alan, you're based up in Filey, I believe, in North Yorkshire on the coast. Yes. Yeah. In case the accent doesn't give it away. Um, absolutely. Very, very Yorkshire. And uh, just in a nice little place called Filey, which is sort of in between um, Whitby, Scarborough and Bridlington. Ooh, nice part of the country. I know it well. Know it well. So actually, it's quite nice on this. This is a rarity. I feel like uh, northerners might be outnumbering southerners on this call. <laughs> So that's great. Alan, thank you very much. Um, next, we've got Carla Edwards, founder and principal of The Protection Parents, um, who also runs her own podcast, so I don't feel under any pressure, uh, Money Making Mothers. Um, welcome, Carla. Also based in the Northeast, I believe. Yeah, I didn't realise you were that close, Alan. Not too far from Alan, about 40 minutes from that area. Is that I right? think so, yeah, about an hour, something yeah. like that, yep. Yeah. Middlesbrough, is it, Carla? Yeah, Middlesbrough, yeah. Fab. Excellent. And and I think one of the things you guys have got in common and and might be one of the reasons for for your passion for protection, I think you've both got three kids. Yeah, I mean, I have. I've definitely got three. Have you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My my three kids are at home today. It's isolating as well. So the door's shut and they are uh, with my wife in the next room. So any background noise from me for shrieking and shouting, then that'll be the three young uns. We'll know why. We'll know why. Brilliant. Thanks. Welcome, Carla. Thank you very much Thank for joining you us for today. And last but by no means least, we have Richard Cately, who describes himself as protection enthusiast and presenter uh, these days, but with a rich 33 year career history at Legal and Generally. Legal and Generally? Legal and General will make that. Um, <laughs> I was thinking who's that. Yeah, yeah. I'm making up new companies now. Um, Latterly, as the head of intermediary development before his retirement in 2021. Um, Interesting enough, Richard does say, although he's retired, he's still really passionate about protection. And he quotes, if I can get a gig which allows me to witter on about it, I will. So this is the perfect gig for you to witter on about it, Richard. Welcome. Thank you very much. Very nice of you to invite me along. And yeah, I must admit, I, I like to say I'm rewired rather than retired because I'm, I'm only 54 and, and retirement and being a, a, a pensioner makes me sound a lot older than I should be. But um, yeah, still got the passion for, for protection and uh, yeah, looking forward to today. Excellent. Well, if it's any consolation, Richard, I changed careers last year after 35 years at, at Nationwide Building Society. So um, and, and I'm I, I'm some of my friends try to say I'm retired. I'm absolutely not like you. I'm, I'm rewired. I'm doing something different and, and thoroughly enjoying it. And Richard, where are you based? Uh, in Horsham in West Sussex. So I shall keep up the flag for the Southerners today, if that's all right. Well, I, I'm going to sit in the middle in that case because I, I'm in Bexhill-on-Sea in East Sussex. Oh, but, right. There you are. But I'm a Geordie. Ah, so despite the accent, Carla, you've got the proper, you've got the proper Northern accent. Alan's got the Yorkshire. I haven't really got one. <laughs> 
So fantastic to have you all on the call today. And uh, I've been really looking forward to this one myself. I know I shared some of the questions that we would use as a basis for our discussion uh, with you over the last uh, few days and weeks. And I think I think one's a really, really, really good one to start off with is what do you see as the biggest barriers faced by protection advisors looking to protect a mortgage? Now, Alan and Carla, I appreciate you both run brokerages. So perhaps if I could come to one of you first. Um, Carla, do you want to kick us off with that question? Yeah, it's, it's well, for me, it's mainly down to awareness. It's the uneducation towards what the products are. It can be, if you say the word insurance, it can be associated a lot of the time with sales rather than, you know, you're trying to protect the family and you're trying to make them understand what's available rather than pushing them into something that they don't want. And there needs to be more done with marketing, creating awareness, being able to actually speak to the client in a way that they understand rather than the jargon and condition lists and this covers this and this doesn't cover that. At the end of the day, we need to make sure they actually understand the, the, the base of what it is before we go into too much detail with them. And I think there's a there's a big barrier at the moment with that. Fab, fab. Alan, anything you want to add to that from a starting point? Yeah, I mean, no, I, I'd agree with everything that Carla's just said for, for a start. Um, and I would add in, I think the other barrier at the moment is um, fear of not being able to get something due to, say, for example, a risk factor such as a medical condition. So I think there's, um, I mean, you've only got to look at, you know, the last two years and, you know, the mental health spike that's come in as a result of this. Um, you know, I think anyone who says they've not had some form of, uh, you know, difficulty or challenge in the last couple of years, I'd, I'd probably be more worried about about them actually than I would from people who, who who have had something so you know we're seeing more mental health disclosures probably than we ever have done we're seeing people who have had outstanding tests people who maybe haven't had the treatment that they needed people um, who have had COVID or have COVID um, sticking my hand up obviously at this time as, as we're speaking with this so there are there's definitely barriers in terms of protection advisors being able to, to protect a mortgage for those medical conditions I mean obviously this is what we do day in day out is advise customers with these pre-existing health conditions to, to, to buy protection so I guess I'd say it shouldn't be a fair point it shouldn't be things that people worry about but it is it is a barrier and it is still there. And can I put in that? All right. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. And as well, without offending people, it depends who's doing it. So if you've got people who cannot be bothered to do underwriting, cannot be bothered to look for the client's best provider, and they're just going with legal in general, shall we say, Richard? Um, <laughs> then it's going to cause even more fear and 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 not understanding why they can't get insurance because you're not getting someone who's gone right okay even if i can't get your insurance this at this time at this point if this changes then we can relook at it again it's just no you can't or it's going to cost you x amount and that is too much out of the client's budget and they can't do it so they run away from it so i think like agree completely agree with you alan but it also comes down to the who's actually doing the appointment and who's going through the mortgage protect getting the mortgage protected with them yeah definitely so, for example, if I was to throw in what isn't meant to be a leading question, but it probably comes across slightly leading, what do you think the difference is from a client's point of view between dealing with a mortgage advisor who provides protection advice as a 
peripheral to giving the mortgage advice versus specialist protection advisors. Don't get me started on that. I'll get someone else started. <laughs> no, go on, go on, go on. Start, Carla. I don't mind. I can't bear it, to be honest. It, it really it is the biggest thing that really gets me every single day when you hear, not all of them, and I hate to do, I'm not saying that they are, because there is good mortgage advisors out there who will do good protection advice, but I rarely come across it. And it's a lot more, I feel like it's a lot more pressured and there's a lot more sales tax, tactics used as in, you need to do this. You need to have this. They don't even explain the product, don't explain the benefits, don't mm. explain why it would help the family. It's just, you need this for your mortgage. Yeah. You don't have it. You know, I've had clients, I've had three this, this month who've said to me, messaged me on TikTok or Instagram and said, can I just check? Is it right? You're saying that I don't need this for my mortgage. I'm saying, no, you don't need it. We'd advise it and we'd, we'd recommend you have it. You don't need it. Oh, but my mortgage broker is telling me if I don't have it, my mortgage won't go through. Like, oh my God, how, how, how is this happening without anybody saying that there's no consequences to it? I just can't get my head around it. So yeah, that's the difference for me. A protection advisor, a good one. Again, there'll be protection advisors out there who'll, who'll use the same tactics. who will say, oh, you need to have it for your mortgage. But then in reality, really, it, it, at that point at that process, you'd ask the other mortgage broker so they've got I feel as if they take the um, the, the situation they're in and the authority they have to a level that I don't think is right with the clients, whereas I don't think protection advisors have that opportunity because if you come into a protection advisor from a mortgage broker, they couldn't use that line because they'd say, well, my mortgage broker would have told me that. Why? I, like, why? Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a gap there. I'd, Richard, I'd, Richard. I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, you often hear the the saying that insurance has to be sold not bought I, I totally disagree I think insurance has to be bought and the only way a client will buy it is if an advisor gives them good advice makes the product relevant and, and um, interesting to them so they can see why they should want it then the client should then want to buy it it shouldn't just be forced down their throats and, and sold I mean the, the thing you were saying earlier about the barriers to protection I came up with three um, and these are really aimed at advisors that don't sell protection because um, both Alan and Carla were talking earlier about the barriers for, for advisors that, that do sell protection, but there is a huge number out there. And I think the biggest problem we have is these advisors that don't sell protection, whether they're mortgage um, advisors or not. But mortgages, the purchase of a house is still the biggest trigger for anybody buying insurances. And that's because it's probably the first time a client's ever seen a, or talked to a financial advisor. So for me, we have a duty of care that when that client comes to us and probably want to take out the biggest debt in their lives, actually, we, we mention it to them, we talk to them. But at the end of the day, as Carla quite rightly said, it's their decision. I can give you the recommendation, but it's your life. You have to decide what you want. Um, I'm going to give you what I think you should do, but that's down to you at the end of the day. Um, so I also think, you know, for those advisors that don't, they come up with all sorts of um, reasoning. A lot of them will say, I haven't got the time to talk about protection. Well, you shouldn't be talking about mortgages then if you haven't got time to make sure the client understands that bit of the protection journey. Um, their sales process, like Carla said, you know, are they forced to do it? You get an advisor that's forced to sell protection because their company says you have to. It's totally different to one that actually wants to sell protection. Uh, they'll do it in a totally, totally different way. Um, and it comes down to themselves. At the end of the day. What's their attitude? Do they believe in protection? If you believe it, when you talk to a client about it, and, and all of us on the call here, if we were going to talk to somebody down the pub tonight about protection, we would have the meeting out of our hands, hopefully, because we're so passionate about it and we understand why it's important. 
a lot of them don't have the confidence to do it. So they need to, you know, I would always say to an advisor, if you're in a, if you're in a firm and there's other advisors in your firm that do sell protection, find out how do they do it? What, what's the trigger? What, why do they do it? And then, you know, try and get some sales skills. Cause you know, in the, when, when I joined the industry and probably the same, Alan, you're a bit younger, but you still remember like Dunbar and the Pearl and those sort of people, they were the ones that really gave huge amounts of training to people to help them try get the message across. Cause let's face it, nobody really wants to, talk about insurance and dying and having a critical illness and not being able to work and protecting your income, but it is fact of life. It's going to happen. So you have to be able to bring these, these subject matters up in a, in a very relevant way that's personal and the client can relate to it. Yeah. I think there's some really, really good points there. I know, I know one of the things I've often said is people don't want, people don't need protection. Now that's a little bit, I'll just, let me just qualify that. What they need is what protection does for them. And I think sometimes the danger is we can spend too much time talking about the product before we've actually got the client to actually understand what it can potentially do for them, what difference it really makes to their lives. You know, as I say, it's not, it, it's anybody who says to me that they want a mortgage. I don't want a mortgage. Any of you want a mortgage? No, I want to own the house. So what, yeah. You, yeah, exactly. That's your point. You you want the house. You know, do you want a protection policy? Not specifically. What you want is you want what it actually offers you. You want that peace of mind. You want that security. You want what it will do in the event of. And I think that's sometimes one of the, the, the challenges we face. Really if, you use, if you use a car advert as an analogy on that, I mean, you don't see that tv adverts telling you about all the features and benefits a car has they, t- they sell you the dream and, and the idea you know you're driving down the motorway your hair your wind hairs in the wind and uh, your lovely wife sitting next to you and the two beautiful kids are behaving well in the background um in reality when you when you buy the car you know you're sat in a traffic jam and um, you haven't got any the kids are screaming on the back and that's when you're interested in the features and the benefits so actually yeah, you, you need to sell the 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 why um and not um you can go into the other bits and it's important to cover the other bits because clients need to know it because let's face it two years down the road the client's going to forget and and in fact one of the biggest findings in in the um some of the research being around clients forget so quickly about you know what they've been sold um but if they've bought it and they've got into it and the advisors reviewing it all the time then they, they do keep remembering it yeah well you know when you said there richard about like 100% about the barrier being that people just say they don't have a time or they don't understand it what do you like why don't they just pass it to somebody who does then a lot of them who's actually going to do the job properly really good point carl and, and i think when we used to do the sales skills masterclasses at lng um we used to bring that subject up and a lot of them would say very similar to solicitors not actually giving referrals on business protection you know they don't want somebody else mucking up their client so they 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 take that protective view and i totally agree with you it's wrong but they'd and rather I, I, take the risk that the client yeah exactly right but I think there's also a, a real interesting so we used to do some sales training there about the handoff process as well because quite a few mortgage advisors don't have the time they don't want to do it they don't have the skills so they will pass it off but there's a great difference between saying oh my mate my colleague John's going to phone you tomorrow about protection is that all right rather than saying my John who's been in the industry for 30 years and he's going to phone you up um, when can we do it he's going to give you a half an hour of free advice about some of the stuff that you really want. John, you know, help this client, help that client. So actually having a profile or, or, or a blog on that person that you're going to pass the client over to. So the client knows, A, who's going to phone them, why they're phoning them, and when they're going to phone them. So again, it's that sales um, process with the handoff, which I think is key as well. 
I do think this message is is getting over though, isn't it as well? Because I mean, the, the so Amy um, Association of Mortgage Intermediaries do their protection viewpoint every year as well, mm-hmm. and and last year they reported back to say that number of advisors signposting has increased from one in seven to one in four, yeah. and you know signposting has got a lot of airtime over the last couple of years, which is brilliant. It's this idea, isn't it, of you know write it yourself, refer it but don't ignore it, don't walk past it. And I just think that is so, so critical. I always say, uh, and on, you can, uh, we do this a lot through through the, the protection distributors group and, and sort of shout about this is, you know, signposting is, is fantastic. Um, you know, if you are too busy, then find somebody that you can refer this business on to, somebody you trust, someone you can work with. But that doesn't have to be, you know, a forever thing. This can be something that, you know, you use for a while and then bring somebody in internally, you know, or, 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 you know, the ideal solution is to have that internal resource. So you can pass on to a colleague within your own firm, or you've got somebody who's working for you, who can then do the protection. I mean, I think to, to go back to a, a point both of you made as well about, um, you've got some brokers who will go quite heavy handed at, at the mortgage advice, but then you've got some on the complete other scale who will just do nothing whatsoever. And it's almost, well, which is which is worse in a sense. I suppose it's always mm. better to talk about it. But I always think it's got to be more than a mention. You know, it's got to be more than just a passing comment. And that's why so many, uh, you know, members of the public and people don't remember that protection conversation because it's a. Oh, are you interested in life insurance? No, and and that, that's it. It's moved on. And um, I used to work in IT. So I used to be a programmer before I, I moved into financial services. And we always used to have to do disaster recovery plans. And I always think this is a great way of almost putting that image in people's mind. It's like you've worked so hard to get this house. You've got this, you know, you've got the mortgages. You said you don't want the mortgage. You want the house. You want the property. But how would you feel if someone came and take, you know, took that away? How are you going to pay this if you can't work for six months, if you're, you know, fall over and slip on some ice and hurt your back or you, you know some you know you, you have cancer or heart attack something like that how are you actually going to pay for this mortgage and, and, and get them to answer actually give you an answer because i bet 99 percent of people will struggle to actually give an answer and if they do give an answer they probably haven't thought it through right it's that perception versus reality thing isn't it we used to do a lot of work on that on on um and when we did the deadline the breadline stuff we came up with the six myths you know, people say oh i don't need income protection well why not or i don't know that i don't think i have a value well yes you do you're probably your biggest asset so you do have a value so it's just once they give you an answer it, it's that it's you guys should be great because you've got kids you know what kids like they ask you a question then another question another question another and that's what it is it, it, it's a why how you know just keep going at them until you find out actually they don't really have an answer um it's just a perception it's that old adage isn't it if you had a you know if you had a money printing machine in the back of your office would you insure it yeah of course you would of course you would sales <laughs> line that in it it's exactly what we all are exactly what we all are that's uh, really really good points there thanks guys um so just expanding on that, get customers who are covered, but why is it that customers are often left with inadequate cover? So even after they've taken advice and the advice might be great, the advice might be really well put together, really well presented. So why, I mean, you know, just thinking about what we we're saying there a minute ago about the signposting and, and the viewpoint, and you were saying, Alan, I think, now one in seven up to one in four uh, advisors are actually signposting but what is it less than 50 percent? i think it's probably not even 40 percent of mortgage borrowers actually have cover 
So why are there still so many people who have had advice with inadequate cover? What do we think the sort of key things are there? Don't understand it. The mortgage brokers don't understand it. They don't understand how to explain it. They don't understand how to, to articulate it to, instead of reading off, you know, when you see people, oh, this is what it does and this is what it does. It's unrelatable. It feels unattainable. They can't be bothered. The thing about time, I'm sorry, I, I just think it takes less than three minutes to explain three, three subjects. If they want it, then you take it, you say, right, I haven't got the time to do it myself, but I know that you need it for X, Y, and Z, and you want it for X, Y, and Z, so I'm going to pass it on to somebody who's going to look after you properly. That takes three minutes. The problem they're doing is they're complicating it so much, and they're making it so much bigger than it needs to be, than just, look, this is what you have. This is what you need. If you don't want it, why don't you want it? And if you've done that, then your conscience is clear. That's up to the client then. But there's, there's no excuse for it other than, for me, you don't, they don't understand it enough. And they're not putting any time and effort into it, and they don't need to. Just pass it out. Pass it to somebody who does want to do a job properly. I think you're right, Carl. And I think um, for me, there's probably two th reasons why clients don't have the adequate cover. One is one will be down to budget. The client will say, "I can't afford it." Well, that's probably down to the sales process and sales skill of the, the advisor that's talking to them. Because actually, if you talked budget correctly and you included the mortgage and the protection and everything else in it then that should never come to fruition um i had a lovely quote once from an advisor and i've used it a lot um in, in my career and he, he he once said to me if a client really truly understands the value of protection they will always find the budget if price is a final objection then i haven't explained it fully enough to them so it was always his fault because he hadn't put it prominently enough to the client or got them to buy into it so you can't blame the client for it it's just that we haven't put that and i think you know we don't i think we sometimes underestimate the skill of sales skills and it's not just you know flogging this and flogging that it's actually understanding how to talk to a client and actually getting them to see from their own perspective what they really need so i'm totally with you there carl i think yeah, yeah. um it's you know if you're not going to do it do it properly or pass it on to somebody else how do lenders' affordability rules impact on that budget issue, though? What do you mean um, in terms of what's available for the client? Like, mm. Obviously, it, it depends, and it's always if they've got a, a medical that's really realistically, if they're borrowing a house, they should have enough spare money available when you're doing that initial income and expenses to be able to protect the mortgage, unless they've got a very bad medical and it's going to be highly rated, and then it's it's the odd, you know, it's different circumstances, isn't it? But I suppose that that comes back to Richard's point about if the price is too great, then have I explained it adequately yeah. in the first place? I suppose that the, the point I was getting at is if we think about the protection element is often considered after the mortgage has been considered. Whereas actually, I'd probably come back to again something Richard said, should we be considering those things separately? So should we be hypothetically agreeing how much we're prepared to lend a customer if as a lender we don't understand exactly how much they can afford for their whole package i think if you if you've got a if you're a client and you're taking out a, a mortgage and you can't afford 30 quid life insurance or income protection or, or critical illness policy then you really can't afford that mortgage because if mortgage rates go up even a quarter of a percent that's going to wipe out that 30 quid so actually you're probably overstretching yourself to start with so um actually again it's down to understanding the client's budget and what's important to them um in, in my hum humble opinion i don't know what alan thinks 
I was going to say there was an interesting, um, I, I had a conversation with, uh, with someone a couple of years ago who was looking at building a resilience score um, for people to go alongside mortgages. So the idea was that you would look at, you know, people's financial resilience. You know, you get a credit score from things like Experian, for example. You would do something similar, but for protection insurance. So what's your resilience like if you can't work if you know you lose a partner or you know if, if something serious happens um and actually whether that could then support a mortgage to almost allow people to borrow more or to get a potentially better rate um and i thought that was a really i know it's not a direct answer to the question by the way but no, i just thought it was a really interesting concept because actually surely a mortgage that is protected is a lower risk than a mortgage that isn't protected but if you think back to the old days, when I say the old days, and sort of the late <laughs> 80s, early 90s, um, you had to endorse, you couldn't have the mortgage without life insurance, and it had to be endorsed to the mortgage lender to make sure that the mortgage was protected. So, And then you had about a 98% penetration rate for mortgage to protection sales. Um, so there's something to be said about that, and I think you're right. And I think renters are exactly the same. We try to use the same argument. And I know, you know we're talking about mortgages, but rent, rental is, is a growing part of the marketplace, and they're, they're probably even less served than than people buying a mortgage but if you're a landlord and you've got two clients in front of you're going to rent your house one's got income protection and one hasn't which one are you more likely to want to have um as a landlord you're probably going to want one with income protection because there's going to be none of those embarrassing conversations when you know they're sick and you want to kick them out of their flat um so i, I agree with alan actually it should be seen as a lesser risk to the mortgage company if they've got income protection and, and critical illness and, and life insurance because you know if anything does happen that debt is secure yeah. It's like it's like though it it comes back to the awareness of it because the product I don't think the product's given anywhere near as much respect as it should have, um, by the industry or by by the people who are, are buying it, and there's no cause of the lack of awareness. Like how many people really buy a car for thirty thousand pound and don't insure it fully? Come, mm. who who do third party only? You know we have to legally. You only have to have third party, but not many people are going to only have third party on a £30,000 car. If the product was actually explained correctly and people understood it better, would they just have, would they have nothing and take that full risk of a £150,000 house or would they have the fully comp cover and get life and critical yeah. illness? They don't need it, but if they understood it, they would want it. And that's where, that's where the problem comes with having these mortgages protected. We did, um, we, we got a, a puppy last year, a little cockapoo, and we did so much research to make sure we got the best insurance for him. Yeah. And, you know, it was so much work going into to, to just finding the insurance for, for a puppy. But yet, do we do that for ourselves, you know, and, and go anywhere near, you know, it always seems to be price. Mm. And the puppy's not going to pay your mortgage for you. Puppy, you've got to pay, you've got to pay I don't know, he's pretty cute. <laughs> You're sorry, right. It's, it's, down, it's all down to the, what Carla was saying. It's, it's this awareness. And if you can bring that awareness and, and make it relevant to a client. I mean, we used to use the word sexy at LNG. Um, and so you've got to make protection sexy. And it sounds like a strange word. But actually, if you look up the dictionary definition, it means relevant and interesting. Um, and that's what you should make it. You should try and make protection. And Carla's done some brilliant podcasts. Just to make, it's not sexy, a, but... <laughs> but it makes it interesting and appealing doesn't it it makes it, it breaks the normal boring stuff of oh i've got to talk about insurance now because it's dull making it fun and interesting just brings it to life for people definitely definitely agree do, do you think do you think the industry has any blame because carla you mentioned something very early on you talked about language and jargon do you think there's still too much jargon in the industry do, do we make it more ridiculously complicated? 
I speak to people in the industry and I'm sat and I'm going, I don't understand what you're saying. I do this job and I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's because sometimes people, I don't know, that it's either that they're just that used to doing it because of habit or that they do it because they want to sound as if they know more and they're the professional and they have the, they have the experience and the knowledge. When really, whether I, like, however you put it for me, the client is going to understand it a lot more if you keep it as simple as possible. That way, yeah. there's no there's no barrier between language, between understanding. You know, I don't call it critical illness cover, I call it cancer cover. The majority of claims paid out are due to cancer. That's what, what most people are concerned about is cancer. Life insurance, it's love, love cover. You get life insurance because you want to leave money for the people you love. If you didn't have anybody to leave money to, you wouldn't have level life insurance. You just have your mortgage. Do you know what I mean? It's like different ways of looking at it rather than trying to complicate something that doesn't need to be complicated. The product sells itself once people understand it. We're a nightmare for acronyms as well, aren't we? And I think because yeah. we use the acronyms so much in our, you know, day to day as well with it. Did you put WAP on that? Yeah. Kick, kick the TPD. Yeah. <laughs> RPI links it. Yeah. You know, and you put all these things together and I've caught new advisors sometimes putting that in their emails to clients. And I'm like, get rid of that jargon. Now I said, a client does not know what that means. That's industry speak. So you, you do, we've almost got to re-educate ourselves, don't we, to be able to, to simplify the language that we use for people. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it started on, on terminal illness and critical illness cover because, you know, as far as a client's concerned, they might as well be the same thing because they've got yeah. virtually the same names, but we know how very, very different they are. Even the word protection, you talk to most clients, um, we did some research on, on just the word protection years ago. Um, and, and the first thing that people thought of when you said protection was personal protection against being beaten up. Second yeah, one was when about I did mine, PPI. I was like, do, I, do I sound like a security firm for families? Yes, exactly. Like... It, was, it, was, it was being beaten up, it was PPI, it was sexual protection. And the fourth one was life insurance. So actually we use this word protection all the time with ourselves, but actually, you know, clients don't, automatically think of of what we think of when we say the word protection um so again it, it's down to that sales skill that carla was saying trying to make it more human and interesting and i love those things you were saying about cancer cover and, and love cover because that is exactly what it is it's it's knowing the client in front of you and what's gonna what's gonna switch them in to understanding what you're talking about fab fab if only we can get the whole industry talking the same way well <laughs> God, can, can, can love I... sex and <laughs> <laughs> Gordon, can I make one point on your your sort of original question on this yeah, as well? Yeah, so, so, so you sort of asked around, um, you know, why people when they get advice still maybe have inadequate cover. Mm. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to say there are some absolutely brilliant mortgage advisors, by the way, who give excellent protection insurance mm. advice as well, and and I know lots of them who do it really, really well. So so please yeah. don't take this as a you know as a criticism in no, any way. No, no. Um, but actually, one of the areas that I still find, because we get a lot of referrals coming in from, from brokers, whether it be wealth advisors, mortgage brokers, or other protection brokers, and I would say 90% of what we get are inquiries about life and critical illness cover. And on almost every single one, we say, well, what about income protection? Oh, we didn't talk about that. And yet income protection is, you know, that should be the baseline for all advice. You know, income yeah. protection is the one that protects everything else. If you can't work, if you are poorly, if you are sick, I'm going to set Richard off in a minute, I'm sure with this one, <laughs> um, you know, then you can't pay for those other insurance policies. And, and critical illness is great, 
but it only covers 40, 50, 60, 70 conditions. Income protection pays for anything that stops you working, um, as long as obviously it's not pre-existing, doesn't come up as an exclusion on the policy. But yet it's still so rarely talked about, but it is probably the one product that everybody who is working should have so i'm still amazed at how it does it, i think we are breaking that trend i think we're definitely getting there and work from the iptf and from from richard when he was at lng and you know from from many other vocal people in the industry and obviously carla's videos and everything like that are doing a great job with it but we need to make income protection the first thing that we talk about with everybody yeah. i think it's spot on there I and mean, you are going to take me off as, as we were saying uh, give me a platform and i'll whittle um, but um, yeah, I mean, we spend so you go and talk sort your mortgage out. You spend an ornament amount of time talking about your income and proving that you can afford it. And then as soon as you get the, the uh, mortgage, you forget about the one thing that got you the mortgage in the first place, and that's your income. Um, so Alan's totally right. I mean, if if any um, advisor listening to this hasn't yet watched it, go and watch the Seven Families videos from the Income Protection Task Force because they're a brilliant way of getting you into thinking about why you should talk about it. And, and, and Alan said, income is, is our biggest asset. If you take an, an average person in the UK, the average salary is about 28 grand. They're going to work for 40 odd years. That total value is about 1.8 million quid. Um, that's an asset that needs protecting. Um, and, you know, they might say, oh, I'll get um, the biggest objection you get from, from that is clients saying, oh, I've got protection at work. But actually, do they? Most people only get statutory sick pay, um, which is less than 100 quid a month. Um, so actually, again, it's going back to that quick point we had earlier where people bring up objections. Actually, ask them that question. OK, so you do have income protection at work. What is it? Can I see the con um, contract? And then find out actually is it statutory or do they actually are they lucky enough to be one of the four percent of companies in the UK that actually has a private income protection scheme within the business? Um, so um, yeah, it's income. I think is is it to me it has to be the first product we talk about. Definitely. I just want to pick up on something Alan said um, and just say this is in no way meant to be critical of mortgage advisors. Because as you said, Alan, there are some fantastic mortgage advisors out there in terms of the quality and the quantity of protection advice that they actually give to their clients. We just want to make sure that actually everybody in the industry shares that passion, shares that knowledge, shares that. And, and if they don't have the skills, seek, seek the skills, look for the learning out there. There is loads of learning out there to support you. There's loads of sales skills training. If you don't understand enough about the products, talk to the experts. But hey, talk to talk to the likes of Alan, talk to the likes of Carla. You know, and if you haven't got the time to do the business yourselves, then again, find somebody who's got the time. Um, but yeah, absolutely, just want to make the point that this is about making sure that the whole industry is doing better by our customers. That's the key thing about it. Okay, so just moving on to a, a final big uh, open question for you all. What are currently the most significant processing and underwriting issues facing brokers? And again, I've got two brokers on this, so hopefully you'll be able to tell me what the issues you guys face at the moment. And, I mean, I don't mind starting on this one, and, and yeah, probably know, you probably know that I will raise underwriting as, as an issue for this. And I think there's there's a perception and a reality um, sort of issue here to, to this. So there, anyone who's tried to write protection over the course of the pandemic will will probably appreciate that it has been tougher. It's definitely been more difficult, especially if you've got a client with a pre-existing health condition because insurance companies did put caps on, they did put limits on, they did say we wouldn't cover people with certain conditions because they were fearful of the pandemic, they were worried about it. And obviously that was a real challenge for, for people actually writing protection at that time. The good news is, 
the industry stayed open for business. The industry paid lots and lots of claims, accepted lots and lots of people still on, didn't put its prices up, didn't put exclusions on the policies. So there's a lot of positives to be said um, about how the protection market sort of, sort of um, you know, fared over, over that time. But the good news is, and this is where I think the reality comes in now, is that actually it is getting better. There is, There are definitely still some restrictions in place and some of the more serious conditions may still be more challenging. Um, but actually, a lot of insurance companies, I would say the majority of insurance companies now have relaxed or removed their COVID underwriting restrictions, which means they will now accept clients that maybe 12 or 24 months ago, they would have been worried about doing. And there's two, two points to this. The first one is that some insurance companies are now asking about vaccination status. So if you do have somebody with a complex medical condition and you're asking a fact find and you're running through some details, my tip is ask about the vaccination status if you feel comfortable because it might increase your chances of getting that cover. Um, but the other thing is, um, if you've had people over the last couple of years who you've tried to get cover for and you've not ended up signposting them and you've not been able to find them cover, it might be worth revisiting now because there are more options becoming available all the time for people. So it's definitely worth going back and, and having a look. So underwriting's always a barrier. It's always something that, you know, I think anyone who recommends protection will always face but it is getting better and just, yeah, try and remember, ask those questions up front, you know, get as much information as you can. There's some excellent tools out there at the moment, things like Underwrite Me and LifeQuote, for example, where you can use, you can sort of almost put in the medical conditions or, or get, you know, information and, and, and quotes by, pre, you know, sort of with preemptive pricing and things like that in and, and do pre-sales. There's, there's just so much available. So yeah, I, I would say try not let that be a barrier. Bob. Good, some good tips there about some of those tools that are available as well. So I, I think people should be looking for those. So Fab, anything you want to add to that, Carla? No, I think you pretty much smashed it there with that answer. But um, <laughs> yeah, that is def that is something. Yesterday, I actually went through all the clients where you know they were due postponed due to COVID, and a lot. One thing that I do think hasn't come down yet, which I thought it would, which BMI was really affected with underwriting during COVID. And some of the providers are still not bringing their, like the ratings shot up from say 25% to 75%. And they were saying it was due to COVID because of the risk of what other complications would come with BMI and having then those complications would then in turn make them high risk due to COVID. I haven't seen them, I haven't seen them come down yet, which I'm waiting for because that's really annoying me. It's mm. causing an issue because BMI is one of the biggest issues with underwriting. I, I, it winds me up because I'd have to take one of my legs off to be within the normal BMI of the NHS. But it's that's all we can go off, isn't it? Is that not what we need at the end of lockdowns and stuff like that? Is it where yeah. quite a lot of us have put weight on? <laughs> I was going to say, Carla, if you need to chop one leg off, crikey knows what I'm going to have to do. No, it does. <laughs> Honestly, if you go to have a little trip today and see, go on the NHS BMI and see what your what you should be to be in green. And I haven't. If I needed to be what I was in green, I don't think I was it since I've been nine. BMI has it's... always been a real big issue in the industry. I mean, you take a rugby player, they, they tend That's to be the short, we used to talk and, about. Yeah. and they're fit and healthy, but actually they're, they're, I'm, I'm like, I've got heavy bones, that's my excuse. And um, I'd always be, uh, I'd always have that problem. But one thing on the underwriting thing, one thing which is really worth noting, and from certainly from an insurance point of view, assurer's point of view, got us um, really under, insurance companies want to pay all the claims that they can. And, and 
one of the biggest reasons that we don't pay out claims, or they didn't, they do, they don't, I keep saying we, I shouldn't say that. Uh, one reason they don't pay out claims um, is non-disclosure. So whatever the thing, don't try and cut corners and miss stuff off the application forms. If in doubt, put it down because there is nothing worse than having all that in place and then finding out that you know, a client forgot he had a kidney transplant or, or, or something of that nature, which, you know, has happened. Um, so just make sure that the client is aware that, you know, you could pay all this money then still not have the cover because you haven't disclosed properly so just be sensible about the disclosure yeah. even I, if it's going to cause a bit longer in underwriting it doesn't it's better to do that than not have a payout yeah i, I remember that being the second biggest reason for non-payment of claims richard and the biggest yeah. reason for non-payment of claims was because the client didn't have the cover in the first place that they were trying well to yeah claim. exactly right <laughs> <laughs> which is completely ridiculous but there we go no that's really good that's really good so it, it sounds like from what you said alan yeah there have been issues but actually the underwriting issues are getting better covid restrictions are gradually relaxing but it'll be interesting to see if the industry can do anything and does do anything about that bmi issue as i say i love the day i love the day because i it's that it's trying to explain to someone who's got eight percent body fat that you're getting rated for your bmi and like what like, i know it sounds ridiculous you know but you are like it's so frustrating it needs updating it's not it's again it's not it's not now it's not today it doesn't i don't think it fits if someone's got if someone's athletic and is like you say a rugby player they shouldn't be getting rated for bmi i'm not claiming to be athletic or a rugby player but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> too old for that now is, it, is that one of the things that does get discussed at the uh, protection distributors group alan we do, we do talk about underwriting, but more we talk about the processes rather than the actual, I guess, the decisions. The decisions quite often will come down to more commerciality between insurers. So anything that comes into commerciality, we, we won't discuss, we won't talk about. Um, that's more of an individual thing. If it's more of an underwriting issue, and I'll give you an example for something we're looking at at the moment is, and this is around underwriting, um, some insurance companies say if you have medical conditions and we might need a GPR, for example, you have to apply for a certain level of cover. Um, now, that's something that we think is completely unfair and we think that should be scrapped and removed. So that's more of a, a processing issue rather than a commerciality. My point is, if someone's had a heart attack, for example, or they've had cancer, why should they be forced to buy at least £250,000 worth of life yeah. insurance? They should be able to go in for £20,000 the same as anybody else. Yeah. Um, so the issues like that, they're the ones that we will tackle and we will take on. Yeah, absolutely. Because that point, they don't need more cover necessarily. Exactly. What's it got to do with the financial need? It can't be any link. Exactly. And it's to be honest, it it does come down to commerciality at an insurer's level because it well, you've got to be willing to spend more money because we're going to have to go for reports. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I think that probably brings us towards the end of the the sort of key things that we wanted to talk about today. Um, I'm just checking my time here. We've been on about 40, 45 minutes, which is great. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be an interesting listen for, for people in the industry. Um, and hopefully that, that sort of passion that I talked about uh, at the start of this is really, really coming across. Um, guys, I'd like to thank you all very much for your time this afternoon. Also, just give you a last opportunity. Is there anything, is there any other key messages you want to share with your colleagues in the industry that you think, you know, would be a really, really useful sort of final point for, for today's uh, little cast? Well, if I can, I'll jump in if you like. Um, one of my biggest ones is reviews, um, the review process. Uh, 
the best salesperson in the world is, is not going to get a client to think about um, protection in, in, um, in, in the first meeting potentially um, and they're not going to get as you were saying adequate protection so don't forget it at reviews um, there's some good research done by Mintel in their 2020 uh, kick research that showed that um, 42 percent of people that already had a mortgage or were renting that didn't have any protection were much more interested in talking to people about protection so um, I think the review process is key especially for mortgage advisors um, in, there was an FCA occasional paper that said that 60% of new mortgages um, were sold through, sorry, 70% of the new mortgages were sold through brokers, but 70% of remortgages and product transfers were sold direct through lenders. So that was down to advisors not reviewing their client base and being on top of that. So that review process is so key to keep your business going. Um, so that would be my one point. Don't forget about the reviews. Fantastic. Great point, Richard. I think um, my, I would just ask any anybody listening to this to think of somebody that you've arranged a mortgage for recently um, and that you've perhaps not done protection for or that you've maybe not discussed income protection for. And just imagine that they, you know, you get a phone call from them in six months time, they're upset and they're saying that they've, you know, their partner's just been diagnosed with cancer, just had a heart attack. And is there anything, you know, they're struggling to work. Is there anything that can be done to help with that mortgage that you arrange for them? And just think about the protection conversation that could have been had or that, you know, did happen or that might have happened. And I imagine that it will be a much, it's never going to be an easy conversation, but it's going to be a much easier and a much better conversation if you say, don't worry, don't worry at all. You remember that policy we set up, that's what it's there for. And you can use this and let me help you with it rather than, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do to help on that. Um, that, that would be me. Fab, great point, Alan. Carla, um, I can see you. My, my point uh, to leave would be if you are if you aren't one hundred percent on how you are speaking to clients about your insurance offering or your understanding of products, get somebody around the age of 11, 12 year old. Speak to them about the products. If they don't understand it, then you're not doing it right. It should be that simple that a 12, 11, 12 year old understands what the three main products are and if you're getting that bit right that's half the battle because then they'll want to know more fantastic I love I'm just, that. I, I, and I don't know the age of your kids but have either of you tried do either of you talk to your kids about your products yeah oh the, the my that's why I say it because that's what I did for Jackson my eldest is when I started doing videos he was nine and I remember thinking, I need to make this. I did a video when I first started doing videos, cut as simple as ABC. And it was that, it was Jackson. I was stood there and Jackson was coming out from behind the back of me. I was saying life insurance and he was popping out going, pays out when you die. Critical illness cover, pays out if you get cancer. And that to me, that's as simple as it needs to be. And if my nine-year-old understands it on that level... I don't understand how adults who are buying mortgages don't understand what life and critical illness is. Can I just, I just add on to this. So my, so my kids are 10, seven and four. Luckily I'm not on video. You can't see me thinking about that. <laughs> and while we were isolating last week, if you have a look on my LinkedIn profile, you'll see this one from, uh, from last week. My seven-year-old asked me, he said, dad, what's, what, you know, what's life insurance? So I explained it to him um, and probably similar to what, what you would do with it, Carl. At the end of it, I said, you know, Alexander, did, did you understand that? And he said, uh, he said, he said, yeah, he said, yeah, I do dad. Said, but I don't need life insurance because I've got the forever portion. Said, I can live forever because I drank that portion. 
there's only me and Santa who have got that portion um, and, we don't share, and we don't share it because we don't want the bad guys to get their hands on it. So it's like, I literally don't know what to say to that. That's the best objection ever. I have to say, I wish I'd known that because so many of my clients, when I used to talk to them, did try and tell me about this forever potion they had. And I should have said, no, only Santa and Alan's son had that forever potion. Forget it. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. No, it's really, and, and I think that that just goes back to this point about language, doesn't it? You yeah. Know, if we talk to people in a language that their kids will understand, then at least we give them a good chance that they'll understand it as well. Fantastic. Guys, I've really enjoyed this. I really, really appreciate your time. Um, so thank you very much from me and thank you from everybody at the London Institute of Banking and Finance. And uh, I won't hesitate to call on you again. Um, as I say, this is one of a series of episodes we're running uh, for mortgage advice. Um, but I'm sure we're definitely going to come back. We're going to have a review and come back to the subject of protection again soon. Um, and uh, I'd really welcome uh, the opportunity to uh, invite you back again in a future episode. So thank you very much for your time today. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And uh, yeah, have yourselves a, a great rest of the day, great rest of the week, and we will catch up again very soon. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our qualifications, training, and upcoming events, then go to libf.ac.uk. We also have other podcast channels that dive into topics like trade finance, financial advice, fintech, and more. You can find all of them at libf.ac.uk forward slash podcasts.